Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante. And in this episode of the podcast, we are going to finish Canto 2 of Inferno and get ready for the first moments of the descent into hell. Just to remind you where we are, Dante has woken up in a dark wood. He's tried to get out. He tried to climb a mountain. He fell back down because three beasts blocked his way. Virgil appeared. Virgil appears to save him, the Roman poet Virgil. They have a bit of a discussion about how that's all going to go down and who Virgil is and how there's going to come a greyhound. This is going to put things right. Dante quails. He falters. He doesn't quite know why he should be tasked with this unbelievable theological journey. And Virgil argues that he should do it because of why it's all happened. And that has to do with Beatrice appearing in limbo, Beatrice telling Virgil to go save Dante, and then even more of Blessed Lady in Heaven, probably the Virgin has told St. Lucy to tell Beatrice to tell Virgil that he's got to go save Dante. And I just want to remind you that the translations, my rough translations, exist on my website, markscarborough.com. You can also look up walkingwithdante.com. It will direct to markscarborough.com. Once you're there, look for the subhead on the, the landing page, the splash page, the opening page. Look for the subhead, Walking with Dante. It will open up a blog, and there's all the translations based on each episode. I think I think the episodes themselves live there, too. And what's more... More important is the comments are open there, so you can comment all you want, and we can talk about passages there on the blog, Mark Scarborough or walkingwithdante.com. So now the conclusion, and we're going to start with Virgil's words, starting after Beatrice has told her unbelievable story about from the heights of heaven about how she got here to limbo to tell Virgil to go help Dante. When she had finished saying this to me, Virgil says, she averted her eyes, lit up with tears, which made me want to come here even faster. And I came to you just as she wanted and rescued you from the beast blocking you from the short path up that beautiful mountain. So what is going on? Why, oh why, do you hold back? Why do you nurture at heart all this cowardice? Why are you not bold and daring when three blessed ladies care for you in the court of heaven and when my words can promise such good for you? As little flowers drooping and closed in the chill of night straighten their stems and open when the sun shines on them, just so was I in my failing strength. So much good courage rushed into my heart that like a free man, I said to him, how compassionate was she who came to my aid? How courteous are you when you quickly obeyed the true words that she gave you? With your words, you have restored my heart with desire to come with you. My first purpose is now my goal. Let us go now with one will and undivided. You are my leader, my Lord, my master. That's how I spoke to him. So that when he moved on, I entered into the deep and savage way. Okay, this is the conclusion of the entire rhetorical battle. And I want to talk about that in a minute and why that is. But this is Dante finally resolved. 
He is now moving forward. Let me read you this passage one more time so you hear it now, kind of uh, having heard it once, you hear it again, which means you'll hear it better. When she had finished saying this to me, this is what Virgil is saying, she, Beatrice, averted her eyes, lit up with tears, which made me want to come here even faster. And I came to you just as she wanted and rescued you from the beast, blocking you from the short path up that beautiful mountain. So what's going on? Why, oh, why do you hold back? Why do you nurture at heart all this cowardice? Why are you not bold and daring when three blessed ladies care for you in the court of heaven and when my words can promise such good for you? As little flowers drooping and closed in the chill of night straighten their stems and open up when the sun shines on them, just so was I in my failing strength. So much courage rushed into my heart that like a free man, I said to him, how compassionate was she who came to my aid? How courteous are you when you quickly obeyed the true words that she gave you? With your words, you've restored my heart with desire to come with you. My first purpose is now my goal. Let's go now with one will and undivided. You are my leader, my Lord, and my master. That's how I spoke to him, so that when he moved on, I entered into the deep and savage way. All through this canto of Canto 2, we've been having a battle of rhetoric. And it's basically important to see this. It's important to see this because while you and I might just say, come on, get with it, get get to hell, and we will in the next episode, start down on the journey. I want to see the gruesomeness. I want to see the people tortured. I want to see the Halloween stuff. While we might want to be there in medieval thought, this has to happen. You have to assert and hold and figure out the rhetorical strategies. And that's what's going on in this entire canto. We're having a rhetorical battle between Dante and Virgil, between Virgil and Beatrice, between Lucy and Beatrice. Everybody is using words to get something, to get something that they want. And they've got to figure out how to use words properly. Lucy and the Virgin, in the last episode of this podcast, used words perfectly to get exactly what they want. Beatrice has proven a little faltering. She's gotten Virgil to do what she wants, but she can only get there if she explains. After all, Virgil questions, how'd you get down here to limbo? Which means that her rhetoric hasn't exactly inspired him on until she further elucidates her story. And here, Virgil now, like a lawyer summing up a case, is coming at Dante full blower. Let's go back to the passage. When Beatrice, when she, Beatrice, had finished saying this to me, to me, Virgil, she averted her eyes, lit up with tears, which made me want to come here even faster. Remember, I just did that giant song and dance about words as usefulness and words as being rhetorically charged. And I do think that's what the entire canto is about. But there's a little bit of a joke right here. Because finally, in the end, words don't do the full deed for Virgil. Finally, in the end, what does it is that Beatrice starts to cry. It is the human emotion of crying that finally makes Virgil move in a canto all about the usefulness of rhetoric. 
Rhetoric apparently can only go so far. And you know this. I know this. When you're in an argument with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents or whoever, when you're in an argument with them, you know that there's a place in which no matter how much you trust in your words, they will ultimately fail you. And here we get just a little bit of joke, a little bit of laughter, I think, from Dante the Poet, saying, you know, after all this rhetorical battle, basically it's tears. Virgil says, I came to you just as she wanted and rescued you from the beast blocking you from the short path up that beautiful mountain. The beast? Wait, there were three. There was the lion, the leopard, and the she-wolf. But this seems to just focus on the she-wolf that was the real block that caused Dante to fall back down the mountain. Why does Virgil zero in on only one beast, singular, the beast? If you remember, Oh, episodes and episodes ago, when we got to those three beasts, I told you that there are various ways to interpret them, that the she-wolf could indicate lust. I pointed to a passage in the New Testament over that. I pointed to the fact that later the sins of hell are going to be in three divisions, and the she-wolf could indicate insane brutishness, this just kind of mentally ill bestiality that is the final stop point of sin. Or I said there was a political reading and the she-wolf could be the papacy. And she represents this ravaging, raving, crazy, ever-hungry, bad, breeds-with-anything papacy that Dante believes has befallen the church. In any event, Virgil clearly underscores the fact that Dante probably could have survived the lion and the leopard, but not the she-wolf. So what's going on, Virgil says, and here he hits Dante right between the eyes. Why, oh why, do you hold back? What is wrong with you, kid? Why do you nurture at heart all this cowardice? Why are you not bold and daring when three blessed ladies care for you in the court of heaven and when my words can promise such good for you? Interesting that he puts himself on a par with the ladies of heaven. At least the three blessed ladies care for you. And you know what? Hey, I am Virgil. I got the writing skills. So I got the word skills. So uh, I can do good for you too. You may feel like Virgil's being very hard on Dante here, but I just want to keep reminding you that Virgil and Dante are in a little bit of a contest with each other. There's a little bit of a rivalry that is going to happen between the two of them over the course of Virgil's time with Dante. And that rivalry is going to get more and more pronounced in certain places. And they're going to poke at each other. Listen, literary forefathers poke at their sons and their sons poke at their forefathers. And remember uh, Harold Bloom's old idea of the anxiety of influence? Well, it's kind of going on here. If you sit down to write something and you want to write a novel, and let's say, you know, listen, it doesn't have to be high art. Let's say your favorite novelist is J.D. Robb, and you're going to, you want to write a novel in the style of J.D. Robb, and you do it, and you're good at it. There's going to come a point when you kind of want to poke at J.D. Robb, too. Just like you want to poke at your parents, just like you want to poke at any authority figure, anybody that you're trying to model, you're going to get a little bit a bit childish with it sometimes of course this is what happens and it happens big time with literary forefathers and their sons now we get this beautiful moving on we get this beautiful uh, simile as little flowers drooping and closed in the chill of night 
straighten their stems and open up when the sun shines on them just so was i in my failing strength ah, he's he's his spine is straightened he's standing up he's ready to go so much good courage as he says rushed into my heart that like a free man i said to him and watch what dante the pilgrim focuses on how compassionate there's the first thing, was she who came to my aid. How courteous, there's the second thing, are you when you quickly obeyed the true words. There's the third thing that she gave you. Compassion, the root Christian virtue. How compassionate was she when she was she who came to my aid. How courteous, courteous, the root medieval virtue, courtesy, knowing your place, accepting it, and using it for the good. Courtesy. It is the, it's not courtesy as in, I let you go in the door in front of me. It's, it is the foundational medieval virtue. How courteous are you when you quickly obeyed the true words, the vere parole, not all hyped up with polish true words, words that are different from the ornate and polished words that she has to trust. Her words are soft, gentle, and true. Hollanders, in their commentary on, in, on Inferno, on the comedy as a whole, relate this phrase to Aeneas's attempt to get the true words that he wants to use with his mother Venus. And if so, it's interesting that therefore Aeneas's desire for the true words is with Beatrice and Dante and it's connecting up. If that's the case, this poem is layering onto itself in really wild ways. And while I've set up an antinomy or opposites between the classical tradition and the low style or, you know, between ornate words and true words, if the Hollanders are right, and they most likely are, it's not actually an opposition it's that there are different styles for different moments, or that there are different ways of conducting rhetoric for different moments. And if I'm right that Lucy in Heaven presents us with a, with a moment of the elliptical high style, as I talked about in a previous podcast, then again, it's not opposition. It's not left or right. It's not one or the other. Instead, it's a layering of traditions, of rhetoric, of words, from low to high, that will ultimately find its way into the formation of comedy itself. It seems at first glance like it's opposing sides. But what if, in fact, it's a layering far thicker than any of us could imagine? With your words, you have restored my heart. Remember I told you last time, Beatrice apparently has to trust Virgil, which is kind of crazy. You've restored my heart with desire. Because as we will discover in Dante, desire, and I mean desire, everything from yearning, wanting, to sexual desire. Desire is the core of the universe and it is the core of the purpose of God. Well, just wait. You just wait. It is that the human desire is the ultimate way that humans express themselves closest to God. You've restored my heart, Dante says, with desire to come with you. My first purpose is now my goal. Let's go now with one will. This is crucial and undivided. 
crucial because Dante's had a failure of the will. He didn't know why he's going to do this. I'm not Paul. I'm not Aeneas. Why am I doing this? Now let's do it with one will. And in fact, this is a common interpretation. But as we will see, Inferno, the entire thing, all 34 cantos, is largely about the correction of the will. And so this second canto is about correcting the will through rhetoric. The first way you correct the failing will of humans is using words properly. So let's go, Dante says, with one will and undivided. You are my leader, my lord, and my master. Let me give it to you in the medieval Italian. To duca, to signore, e to maestro. That simple sentence, you duke, you leader, you signore, you lord, you master. <laughs> there is no greater example of the low style, of simple, plain, unadorned speech. In other words, Dante finally has the language to write the poem. He's listening to Beatrice. He's ventriloquizing her style. That's how I spoke to him, he says, emphasizing what I just read you. So that when he moved on, I entered into the deep and savage way. And now we head down. Where? That's a little tough. What is this path? What is its relationship? to the wood and the mountain that Dante tried to climb and fell back down. He's about to enter the mouth of a cave in the next episode and in the third canto of Inferno. Where is this cave in relationship to the mountain and the wood and all that stuff? Unclear. I have to tell you that there's a lot of work by many, many scholars trying to place it somewhere. It's not clear in the poem. It's opaque. It is that medieval satisfaction with dissonance. So let me just talk to you for one second about the entire second canto. This canto has an interesting structure. Just think about this. We start with Dante's doubt. We move to Virgil's correction of Dante's cowardice, his reproof of his cowardice. We move from there to Beatrice's request of Virgil. We turn on Virgil's doubt of Beatrice. How'd you get down here? We come out of that with Beatrice's story, which leads us to Virgil's truth of Dante's destiny, which leads us to Dante's strength. We started with Dante's doubt and we end with his strength. And along the way, we make an absolutely formal V. Just think about it. Dante, here's one side of the V going down. Dante's doubt, Virgil's reproof of that cowardice, Beatrice's request of Virgil, and then Virgil's doubt as the bottom point of the V. And then we go right back up the opposite way. Beatrice's story, Virgil's truth of Dante's destiny, and Dante's strength. Dante, Virgil, Beatrice, Virgil. Beatrice, Virgil, Dante. It's like a big V. 
and there's a fancy word for this cast moose, the structure, but it's all set up. The whole canto that's about rhetoric is one of the most structured cantos of the entire comedy. This, <laughs> this canto that is about rhetoric is itself rhetorically structured in a crazy way. And why are they doing all this? This is important because rhetoric is necessary for action and because it's necessary to get your rhetoric right. You have got to get your rhetoric right if you want to write anything. You've got to get what it is down. You've got to get your voice down, the style down, how you use words. All of that is crucial to what you write. So it doesn't surprise us that an entire canto before we enter the mouth of hell is devoted to getting the style right, to getting the rhetoric right, to getting it fine-tuned so that it can absolutely get the kind of response it wants. And notice, too, forces beyond Virgil and Dante guide this poem. Wow, in the second canto, we have jumped all the way from the flames of hell to the very heights of heaven. If that gracious lady is the virgin sitting up there, we have jumped to the top of heaven, to the very top ring of heaven itself, as we'll see way later in the parody. So we've jumped all the way to the top. So we have gone from the center of the universe, Ptolemaic universe, earth at the center, hell inside earth in a cave. So the very center of the universe up to the very highest sphere in one canto. In other words, we have now seen the entire journey. Basically, we've seen everything that's ahead of us. We, we haven't seen the details of purgatory. We haven't seen the details of hell. We haven't seen the details of heaven. But we've got the expanse down. This is the whole thing. We, it, it's as if we were paying really close attention to Dante and we were really up close in his face when he was in the wood and the beasts were attacking him and Virgil saved him. And Dante was originally afraid. And why am I going to take this journey? And who am I to do this? Right? We're right up near his face. And then it's like, think about this as a movie. We suddenly just panned back. We panned way back. And all of a sudden, we're with within not so many lines. We're sitting up with the Virgin and St. Lucy and Beatrice and Rachel. And we're up in the top of heaven with all the saints. And then we pan right back down. And we're back down to those little flowers straightening in the sunlight, to Dante straightening his spine and getting his will corrected and getting his rhetoric corrected, getting it all together. And, you know, that's an interesting point, that you can't have the right rhetoric. You can't use words right until your will is right. And, oh, man, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a writer – I want to tell you that, that, that ne'er were truer words spoken. You have got to get your will, your desire, your, your choices correct as you get your rhetoric correct. And in fact, the two will correct together. Your voice will come with your desire to write the piece. If you're blocked because you don't think you can write it, because you think you're afraid to write it, then your voice will not be right. To use Dante's medieval words, your rhetoric and your will have to get right together. And when they correct together, and you can say something as simple as, you are my leader, my lord, and my master, something that is so plain that it just carries its meaning directly out. 
and it's spoken exactly in your affection for Virgil and in the truth of what you think about Virgil, you have corrected your will and your rhetoric at the same time until they are both in the right direction. Trust me from having spent six years trying to write a book, that is the exact way to write a book. Get your desire and your voice to match. Don't let the voices inside your head tell you that you're not worth doing this. That's all killing your will. Don't stand back. Don't pull yourself out of it. Instead, embrace the will to write. And then also at the same time, write straight forward out in your own voice. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Walking with Dante, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. Please rate it. I could really use a good rating. Uh, It helps with the Google Analytics. I'm begging. I can't help it. I am doing it. Please. And if you really like it, drop a comment. Oh, my gosh. That would be so fabulous if you dropped a comment. In any event, I'm Mark Scarborough. And please join me for the next time on Walking with Dante, in which we formally and finally get to the third canto of Inferno and descend into hell.